Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Henry. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel, Ohio. We find ourselves in Philippians chapter 2 tonight. Our text is chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and our message is entitled Unity in Christ. Unity in Christ. And hopefully I'm always the last one there to give you time. Verse 1, it begins this way. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, and what? Sympathy. Well, First off, what I want us to notice here is just the uh, emotional force of these expressions. In fact, it's kind of hard to convey in English. It's there in Greek, but what we need to understand is that the Apostle Paul is, is he's pouring out his heart in passion to the Philippian church, just saying, listen, listen, if God has been good to you at all. And of course, every true Christian, every true believer, their experience would be, well, indeed, yes, he has. Well, let's uh, unpack this verse a little more. Verse one again. Paul says, so if there is what? Any. Any. (laughs) That is ultimately, Paul is going to call the Philippian church and us in this passage to live in unity, to live in love, and to live in humility with one another as fellow believers in Jesus Christ. And here in verse 1, he's giving the the basis for his appeal. And, And what he's saying is, listen, if God has given you these things, if you have experience these things, then then you should, then these things should be true of your life. These things should be true of our relationships with in the church. And, and so let's take a deeper look at the things that, that the Apostle Paul says that hopefully we've received if we're true believers in Christ and thus should flow out of our lives in our relationship in the church because that's his whole point. If this happens, then then this has to happen too. They're connected. That's, the, that's his point. Verse one again. So if there is any encouragement in who? In Christ. And so here Paul is beginning a, a series of rhetorical questions, just one after another. And, and the expected answer to that rhetorical question is, of course, <laughs> Uh, of course, if, if you are a true Christian, if you are a true follower of Christ, uh, of, of course, you know and, and have experienced the encouragement of Jesus Christ. Now, because we just sang that Christmas song that we just sang, I'm going to give you a little uh, tidbit. That is, you know, the King James word for encouragement is consolation. And so in Luke 2.25, we see a title for Jesus as the Messiah, that he is the consolation of Israel. Remember we just sang that? 
And so that comes out of the story of Simeon. Simeon was a righteous man of God, a devout man of God, and the Spirit of God was upon him. And the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would see the Messiah, that he would see Jesus Christ on earth before he died. And so when Jesus' parents brought Jesus to the temple, uh, Simeon saw him, and the Holy Spirit, he prophesied about Jesus there. But in that passage in Luke 2.25, we see that title for Jesus, the consolation of Israel. So I, I just point that out so we know what we're singing when we sing that song. So verse 1 again. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any what? Comfort from his love. That is, again, all Christians should know and experience the comfort of God's love. As 2 Corinthians 1.3 says that God is the God of all comfort. That, that is, there is no way that we cannot be comforted by God. It's, it's who he is. It's his nature, and there is no circumstance that he cannot comfort us in. The word for comfort here in the Greek is paralysis, and, and it actually has more than the idea of kind of soothing sympathy because that's kind of what we think of when we think of comfort, you know, kind of comfort food, that warm thing. It, it means giving strength. It, it means making one brave. That is, the love of God makes us strong. The love of God makes us brave. The love of God enables us to uh, to walk through trials, to endure persecution, that the love of God emboldens us to share our faith and to step out in faith, that the love of God causes us to be able to walk in a world that is going the other direction from where God is calling you and I to be. And so listen, if God, the Almighty One, loves you completely, accepts you completely by Christ. There is nothing that can snatch you from his hand. If the spirit is inside you, you can do all things through him. His grace is sufficient. Listen, his divine power has granted to you all things that pertain to life. Listen, if God is with you and for you, nothing can stand against you. If God is in you, he will never leave you or forsake you. So the love of God makes us brave. It gives us strength to overcome our enemy, to overcome whatever difficulties he throws at us. So listen, church, I don't care what time it is. It's time to shine. It's time to be bold. It's time to be brave. We have the power and presence of God in our life. You are loved by God. You are loved by God, not because of your performance. Listen, because of Jesus. Good thing, right? And you plus God is a majority in whatever it is you have to face. Don't forget that this week. Whatever problem, whatever situation is too big, whatever temptation comes at you, I do not care what it is. You say to it, me plus my God is a majority. I am trusting in him. That is the comfort 
of the love of God. Verse 1 again. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, and if there's, <laughs> you just love as a, if there's any, I mean, if you've ever just felt the littlest bit, you know, <laughs> if there's any comfort from love, is there, if there is any participation in the Spirit, that is, listen, all Christians should know and experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That is, when we encounter God, we encounter a life that we never knew before because we become new. We become born again. We become new creatures in Christ, and we experience a life a goodness that we never knew because we were not connected to God. We were not connected to the life source because Jesus is life. And so the Holy Spirit, listen, he, he fills us and he guides us and he moves in our lives in powerful and good ways. And so the answer once again, to Paul's rhetorical questions is, of course, listen, of course, those of us who are true believers have experienced the comfort of God's love. Of course, we have experienced participation in the Spirit. Verse 1 concludes, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and, and sympathy. And so once again, you know, every Christian should know the affection of God and the mercy of God towards him. Has God been merciful to anybody in this room? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't be here, right? <laughs> We'd be gone. And so again, you know, Paul's asking these questions in such a way that the answer is, is obvious. This, this is obviously what true Christians experience. And, and it's said in the way, in the flavor of this, the same idea of, think about that water is wet and, and fire is hot. And listen, rocks are hard. So if you know Christ then you have a very experiential, supernatural, genuine relationship with the living God. That is, you cannot know him and not experience him. They don't go, it doesn't work like that. And so here's my question for you tonight. Do you really know God? I've been a pastor for 30 years. And I've talked in many different congregations. And I've seen people come to church and go to church. And I can tell you there are a lot of people that go to church that don't know God. And you have no clue what Paul just laid out. But listen, you, you might know church. You, you might even know stuff in your Bible. You might know it really well. 
you have information. You, you, you know people. You, 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 like, you like the people. Maybe you like serving. But do you know the living God? Are these experiences obvious in your life? You know specifically what Paul is talking about. You are like, yeah, totally. I know what that is. I experienced that. And so listen, if not, no problem. That's not my point. My my point is, is to recognize it and say, listen, you're here tonight because God wants to change that. You're here tonight because God wants to have a real relationship with you. He wants to enter into your life and actually give you a life that you have not known before, actually give you a power and an encouragement and a comfort that you have not experienced. And so listen, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps you need to say, Lord, I, I, I don't know what that pastor is talking about. I can't I can't really legitimately say that those are obvious experiences in my life. Well, well, no problem. Just just open up your heart. You know, turn from your sin, turn to Christ, ask him to come in and begin to reveal himself to you. Here's the other question. If you're a believer... Are these experiences consistent in your life? Because that's the implication here. Is this something that is part of your daily experience with Christ? And so, again, if not, why not? Listen, do you need to repent of pride? I'm just going to tell you straight up, that's our biggest problem. Do you need tonight to repent of pride? Because listen, you can't trust God. You're always trying to maintain control. You're always trying to make sure it goes your way. You obey him sort of. You give part of yourself to him. But, but you so want a certain outcome, you're just not going to release it all. We, we all have this nature of, I want to do what I want to do, and we're constantly pushing back against our good Father. We're constantly trying to go our own way. Prone to wander, I feel it, Lord. Remember that old song? Do you need to repent? of pride. Men, I would just say in particular, that's a big problem of ours. And and I've leaned into this before and I'll lean into it again because um, too too many of us men, we're we're too afraid to admit when we're wrong to our wives, to our kids, to our fellow brothers in the church. We're too afraid to really listen. Uh, we, we have this weird macho front, this weird hard front to cover our insecurities, to wall ourselves off. 
Listen, posture isn't everything, but posture is a lot. And you know, when I see guys with their arms folded and when I see guys who aren't willing to come to the altar and kneel and weep before God, I know there's a problem. Why? Because I'm a man. And I would just encourage you, you know, Jesus wept. King David was a great warrior. He killed many a man. He was no wimp, right? He was a warrior. He was a man's man. He wept over his sin. He cried out to God on his knees, create in me a clean heart. Oh, God, renew a right spirit within me. I'm broken, Lord. Restore me. Restore the joy of my salvation. He wept over his sin. He wept over the sins of his people. Listen, a a true man bows before his king. A, A true man weeps over what breaks the heart of his king. And a true man fights for what his king loves as well. And gentlemen, this is what I know from personal experience, and I'm sure God's not done with me. God will not use a man until he breaks a man. So listen, if you've been praying, man, I, I, I want to be used by God. I, I, I want God to use my life in great ways. Well, you got to be broken first. And then he'll put you back together. Perhaps there are other sins that are preventing that experience. You know, maybe, maybe immorality, maybe envy. You know, you're just upset. Your life's not going the way it's supposed to. Maybe resentment. You know, you're just angry at some other people and what they did and what they're doing. You're so focused on that and your heart's so full of yuck, you're totally disconnected. I don't know, whatever it is, listen, get it out of the way. I mean, what Paul just described, isn't that where we want to live? You know, maybe it's fear, maybe it's unbelief. Get it out of the way. Repent, let it go, lay it at his feet and ask him to come in. Ask him to, his blood to cover your sin. Ask His Spirit to come in once again and fill you and renew you and refresh you and, and create in you, as David said, a, a clean heart and renew that right spirit, that right stance within you. Verse 2. He goes on. Complete my joy. Yeah, so Paul's going to shift gears here, and he's kind of making a a little bit of a personal appeal here as the kind of the father, quote-unquote, of the church. But he's going to shift gears here, and he's going to to say, listen, because we've been given these real gifts, because we have these real experiences of God's presence and power, then what he's going to say next has to be true of our relationships in the church. So let's see what he says. Verse 2 continues. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 
Well, that's all speaking of the same idea, right? That, that deep, deep unity, that, that internal, deep, that genuine love and affection for one another. That, that listen, it, it is surrender to Christ, that it's got self out of the way, and so it's, it's just kind of Jesus loving on Jesus and the other person. Well, how do we, how do we achieve that unity? Well, well, Paul's going to give us four steps here in verses three through four. And so, so here's the reality. Here, here's the first part. If this is true, we are connected to Christ. We've been made new creatures in Christ. We've been born again. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God. God himself is in us. We're totally changed. We have a new nature. We have a new power. We've been set free from sin and death. We can say no to the flesh. We can say no to sin. We have been changed. If this is true, then this is what should be true of our relationships. Then, ultimately, we have the responsibility to walk out the reality of what God has done in us. That is, we either choose to obey the new nature, we choose to obey the Holy Spirit, or we choose to disobey the Holy Spirit and obey our flesh. Now, before we knew God, we didn't have a choice. We were enslaved to the flesh. We were enslaved to our sin. We couldn't say no if we wanted to. To one degree, we, we could. But ultimately, we couldn't say no. But in Christ, we've been set free completely. My mind just went on a rabbit trail. I'm trying to decide whether I should say it or not. Yeah, I hate that when I do that. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say it. So if you uh, I, that, that's why I, I don't really prefer our, our, the word addiction. I don't think that's a biblical word. And so sometimes our words can convey the wrong thing. Now, I'm not saying that people don't struggle and that there's not physical impulses that get affected and all that stuff. But in Christ, um, the problem with saying that someone's an addict the rest of their life, that says to me that they are never made new in Christ. And my, my Bible doesn't say that. So we need to not use that terminology. Now, I understand. I understand that there's physical things that go with that that have to be overcome. Don't misunderstand me. I'm, not, I'm saying that you should build boundaries. It's not like you should, you know, be foolish. But we need to not use that word. Because my Bible says my past is completely gone. I've been set free from all sin. It has no power over me. I have the power of Christ within me, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, the temptation might ring. I don't have to pick it up no more. You are now defined as a son or daughter of God, not as an addict. It's the wrong terminology. Listen, your identity matters a lot. What you think your identity is leads to your behavior. And so it's so, so important sometimes that we step back and, and we kind of look at the words 
that get substituted sometimes and, and not, not always in a bad way, but really think about, is that biblically right? What does that communicate to me about my identity? Is that, is that correct? Most of the time it's not. We need to use Bible words and Bible truth because it's a, a lot clearer. There's a reason that God chose the words he chose. There's a reason he's preserved them for 4,000 years. We might want to stick to the script. I'm just saying. Okay, that was a total rabbit trail. Where was I? What was I talking about? I don't even remember. Okay. We choose to obey the spirit of the flesh. That's what I was saying. Okay, verse 3. It says this. Do nothing from selfish, what? Ambition. So that's the first step. And we talked a little bit about ambition last week. But ultimately, the Bible has two words for ambition. You know, one's positive. And so it speaks of, you know, doing our, or pursuing excellence for the glory of God. Doing our best, being our best for God. Nothing wrong with that. That's good ambition. That's a good thing. But there's also negative ambition, and that's the word in our text here. It's the Greek word erethia, and it means selfishness. And so that ambition is about my power, my advancement, my recognition, everybody applauding for me, my success, my elevation, And so ultimately, when we operate from the flesh, we are looking to elevate ourselves. That's our natural nature. And listen, that's, that's the way of our flesh. That, that's the way of the world, right? That's what the world teaches. That's what the, the, the world applauds. But that is not the way uh, that Paul, that God is calling us to live. And, and so ultimately, when you have the world's unity, right, when the world gets together to do something, you got to make sure that everybody in that circle gets their props, right? You know, if the world gets together, you got to make sure everybody gets the recognition. You got to make sure that it's a win-win for everybody. Everybody gets profit, right? Right? <laughs> have you guys done stuff with the world? Okay, just checking. Well, biblical unity is totally different. It's the complete opposite. Complete opposite. It's humility. It's no recognition. And you're totally okay with it. I, I can serve and no one see. I, I can serve and no one applaud. I, I can be treated like a servant. You know, you know how you know when you're being treated like a servant? When no one notices. <laughs> when, when no one says thank you. When no one applauds. Yep, there you go. Ultimately, um, this whole self-ambition stuff um, plays out in our life too often. You know, too often... We're just on autopilot, and we're walking by our flesh, and we're not being intentional about walking in the Spirit. We're not putting to death the deeds of the flesh and putting on the Spirit in His ways. And one of the ways that plays out is in how we compete with one another rather than complement one another. For example, 
husbands and wives. Husbands and wives compete for control in the relationship, and they, they, they butt heads because it's about who's in control and who decides, and, and there's this wrestling match because, because of selfishness and control. 99% of marriage problems, selfishness and control. It is really that simple. Listen, verses, verses looking to God's word and dying to self, dying to selfishness, putting Christ first in, in my heart and in your spouse's heart, putting Christ first in the marriage and the home, so that the atmosphere of that relationship, the atmosphere of that home is genuine love and genuine trust. You won't have genuine love and genuine trust without Christ at the center of your heart and Christ at the center of your home. And then again, looking to God's word and seeing God's clear design for how he made a man and a woman, the male and female, and then he designed specific roles for them. Super clear. We just don't like them. Culture doesn't like them. Culture doesn't like the genders, <laughs> let alone the roles. But it's super clear. Man is the head of the wife. The wife is the helpmate. The man is to lay down his life for his wife and to put her interest before his. The woman is to respect and follow his leadership. Super clear. Now, let me say this to the gentleman in the room. Listen, um, it's hard to have submission without mission. You might write that down, gentlemen. It's hard to have submission without mission. Listen, gentlemen. You were called to lead. Do you, do you have a clear mission about what it means for you to be a godly man? About what it means for you to, to help a godly wife blossom at your side? Do you have a clear mission of what it means to have a godly home and to raise up your children in godly ways? Do you have a clear mission about what your family is about, about what church is about, about what Jesus, what are you pursuing? Where are you taking your wife? Where are you taking your kids? It's hard to have submission if they don't see the mission. And so you have a lot of frustrated wives that just go, well, I guess somebody's got to go somewhere. Or kids, listen, if you're parents, you know, you know it's like this, you know, sibling rivalry, right? <laughs> Who gets to do what? And they got to do that, and I didn't get to do that, you know. Who gets what attention? Anybody have kids? Am I the only one? Nobody ever experienced that? <laughs> well, all this stuff plays out in the church, doesn't it? It's, it's all flesh. And so you have people competing uh, for, in, in ministries. 
rather than truly serving. You have people looking for recognition and, and looking for the attention of others. And and ultimately, Paul is saying, listen, if we're to have unity and we're to have harmony and we're to have love and true fellowship with one another, then, then first off, we got to understand who we are in Christ. We've got to be surrendered and walking consistently with the Spirit. That, that means we've got to be able to evaluate ourselves and, and step back and die to ourselves and, and to crucify the flesh and then surrender to the Spirit, put on the things of the Spirit, put on those new clothes, take off the old ones, put on the new ones, and listen, walk in that so that what we're doing Listen, truly is for the glory of God. We got to get our junk out of the way so that we really are living to please Jesus, that we really are looking to see him applaud and nobody else. Listen, if somebody does, that's a bonus. Paul ultimately says, if this is true about us, then this has to be true about us. And, and so listen, unity and harmony and, and love, it, it starts here, right? You know, we, we can give practical things like, you know, be nice to each other and things like that, right? rah-rah stuff that are practice stuff, nothing wrong with it, but it's all short-lived if it's not a real relationship with, with God and you don't have a new nature and you're not empowered by the Spirit of God. That, that's something totally different, you understand? That's why the church is to be different. I, I mean, almost any group can get together and do something and, and scratch each other's back going off on rabbit trail again so here we go um this is why we've seen so much division in this post-pandemic world is because what it's revealed is that the presence of christ is not in some people who were coming to church fruit is fruit folks i know that's hard when you attach it to faces it it just is what it is I don't mean that mean in any way, shape, or form. Listen, I grieve over people. I pray, for all, I pray for all those faces. I'm broken about a lot of them. But fruit is what it is. The other reason is that presence of Christ is, is not being experienced by some. In other words, they're, they're full of their flesh. And so they're not here. Because if this is true, then this is true. You understand? If I'm connected to God, there's going to be certain behavior that's going to come out of my life and out of your life. And if that's true, we won't have any problem getting along and going in the same direction. Verse 3 again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or what? Conceit. That's, that's the second step. Conceit is... 
you know, thinking too highly of yourself. It's that, you know, preoccupation with yourself. And, and listen, that has two expressions, right? You know, there's the self-confident expression that is, you know, you're really cocky about your abilities and your talents and your God's gift to man and everybody's lucky to know you, you know, that one. And, and the world rewards that one, right? And then there's the other expression, which is really a, a low self-esteem or a, a lack of confidence. But listen, that person's seething on the inside. Because see, they, they, they still believe that they deserve more. They're just not getting it. And, and because they're fearful or whatever reason, listen, they, they feel cheated. They, they still think they deserve it. And, and so they're still totally preoccupied with themselves and they're depressed because of it. And this is why America has, there is legitimate depression, but there is, this is why there is more depression in America than any other country because of that. Selfishness, self-preoccupation. Ultimately, the literal translation of conceit is vainglory or empty glory. That is, when we glory in ourself, when we make me or us the center of our worship, we get emptiness on the inside. Listen, every rich person, every successful person will tell you that. Even if you gain all the glory of man for a moment, it's dust in the wind, right? They're still unhappy. They're still empty inside. They're still chasing it. But listen, when we glory in Christ and when we put Christ at the center of our worship, we put him on the throne of our lives, we get life and power and peace and joy and goodness and happiness. Well, why? Because we were created to worship God. Our creator made us to worship him, and only he can fill that God-shaped vacuum in your heart. Verse 3 again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in what? Humility count others more significant than yourselves. Well, that's the third step, and that's a radical concept, right? You know, you know, consider others more important than you. You know, consider others more significant than you. You know, what are you talking about, man? That's crazy. That, you know, our culture is out like, you know, look out for number, number one. Humility, are you kidding me? People are going to step on you. And so we see it, you know, increasingly in our culture, don't we? Uh, increasingly, people, they just think they're more important than everybody else, right? And, and their, their world's more important and their time's more important. And listen, we have more violence in our country right now than we've had in decades. We have more harshness. We have more selfishness. We, we feel it. We see it. It's obvious. And, and we even have parents who are teaching their kids, hey, you're, you're the most important person in the world, and, we, and they call it self-esteem. No, it's not. It's just selfishness. 
and we're calling it a virtue. Listen, if you allow your kid to do that, by the way, if you allow your kid to be the center of your home and you feed them that way, you will have a very disobedient child because they will feel insecure because they intuitively know they're not supposed to be the center of that home. They intuitively know they're not supposed to be the center of the world because that's not how God created them. And they will act out. And that's why. It's not the only reason kids act out. Don't hear me say that. There's plenty of others. Verse four, here's the fourth step. Let each of you, what? Look. Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so that word look in the Greek is the, is the word scopio. And we get our English word scope from that. So like a scope on a rifle. And so what the apostle Paul is saying, what God is saying to us is that I, I, I'm to put you, I'm to put others in my scope. I'm to adjust and focus what I am targeted on is others, not, not me, right? Well, how do we do that? How, how, how do we adjust that scope? How, how do we help ourselves, you know, on a scope kind of turn you focus it in? How do we do that when it comes to other people. Let me, let me just give you two things. We look and we listen. We look and we listen. Listen, especially if it's your wife or your husband. Put the phone down. Remove the distractions. If you're like me, I, I used to have to like sit with my hands under my legs because otherwise I would do other things and not look and listen. I, I had to do that because I'm, I'm an idiot. But you look and, and you listen, you pay attention. Uh, for example, let me ask you this. Can you name the five most important needs of your spouse right now in this moment? Because they change, right? Can you name the five most important needs of your spouse right now in this moment? Can you name the five most important needs of each one of your children right now in this moment? Listen, because you know them, because you've paid attention to them. And so listen, right now in this moment, you know how to specifically pray for them. You know how to specifically encourage them. You know how to specifically bless them because you're scoped in. And so ultimately, Paul is saying this to us. If we're going to have unity, we're going to have harmony, we're going to have love. Listen, it flows. It flows from us having a real relationship with Christ, an experiential one. So that, this is what he's saying, so that what is normal is that God's power and presence is felt in our church and in our relationships. Is that normal? 
And if not, why not? And if not, church, I'm begging you, I'm begging you, I'm begging you. Please change it with me. And the way we change it is just keep coming to the altar. Just keep dealing with our stuff. Just keep coming to Christ and asking him to fill us again and asking him to move again. But listen, when we pull back, when we get off track, when we get discouraged, when we stay out there in the weeds, then we start blaming everybody else. Then we start wondering what everybody else is thinking. And then we start putting words in people's mouths. Division happens and envy and all kinds of nonsense. I want the norm to be in this church when we speak to one another, we feel the presence and power of God. I want the norm to be in this church that we gather to experience the presence and power of God not just do a church service. Because there's a spiritual war happening right now. You understand that? Do you, do you understand that the Satan and demons are, are present, speaking lies to you, trying to harden your heart so you don't receive the word, try, trying to cause you to deflect the, the, the need to repent? trying to keep you in bondage to yourself, trying to tell you you can't change. You've tried before. Trying to tell you, don't believe again. Don't pray again. God didn't move last time. God didn't move when you wanted to. Well, well, don't ask him again. Don't, don't get your hopes up again. There is a spiritual battle happening right now for your mind in your heart, and it's not just about, you know, being like, okay, it is, it's further than that. I don't want us just okay. I want us on the offensive. I want us walking in faith. I want us casting out demons. I want us sharing the gospel. I want us setting people free. I want us praying in faith, believing our God to move. We got to wake up. We got to lean into the battle because we have God on our side. He's the one leading us. He's the one fighting for us. We can't just sit back and take the hits and act like woe is us and what is happening to our world. No, get on the offensive. We have the sword of the spirit. We have the spirit of God inside of us. Let's get it done. You are the church of the almighty God. We are strong. We are brave, not because me, I'm a wuss. I'm a wimp. But I have God. So me plus God is a? One person listened. Me plus God is a? Church, wake up. Me plus God is a? Thank you. Now let's worship. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.